This is Albert Breer from the MMQB.com, and you're listening to Play Like a Jet. From Joe Namath's Super Bowl Guarantee. I got news for you, buddy. We're going to win the game, I guarantee you. To Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract holdout. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has not shown up at camp. Where are we with Fitz versus the Jets? And everything in between. They froze. It appeared that Marino was going to try and stop the clock instead. He connected for the fourth time with Mark Ingram. And it is juggled and caught by Jumbo Elliott. This is Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at some of the best. The New York Jets are the world champions. They have upset the Baltimore Colts and beat them handily here today. And worse. Vince Wilfork is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. Mark Sanchez not expecting it. And it was the backside of Brandon Moore that knocked the ball out. Moments in New York Jets history. So get ready to hop in your DeLorean and take a trip back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? For an in-depth look at the most memorable games, seasons, players, and events in the history of gangrene, it's time to play like a Jet. Play like a Jet? What does that mean? With your hosts, Scott Mason and Big John Sparapolis. And welcome to Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at the biggest moments in New York Jets history. My name is Scott Mason, alongside my tag team partner, six foot two, two hundred sixty-five pounds. Here comes the pain, as Taz once said. Big John Sparopoulos, what's going on, John? Scotty, you got to be honest. I've been better. Uh, starting to sound like a broken record more than usual on the show. Another, another tough loss for our beloved Jets. Yeah, without a doubt, a tough one to swallow with the Tennessee Titans coming back and beating the Jets in the final minute of the game. Heisman Trophy Marcus Mariota, trumbling pocket and taken down. Luvu gets him, Frankie Luvu. With Elijah McGuire in the fake to him, second down and three, and here goes the pitch, and he goes outside to Trenton Cannon. Nichols secondary, second down and five. McCown. He's got his man, Robbie Anderson. Four-yard field goal try, wind aided. It's going about 10 to 12 miles an hour. Myers, who kicked one last week against New England from 55, gets it up and in. Third down and four for Marcus Morio. That's picked off! Intercepted on the play by Tremaine Johnson. He's got Adams ahead inside the pylon. That's a Jets touchdown. And their first takeaway in six games. Scrimmage because he's going to be coming. And when he's coming, you know some type of zone pressure is on the back end. Jermaine Johnson read that, read the eyes of Marcus Mariota the whole way. Elijah McGuire is in third down and three. They hold him off and he has his receiver across the middle. And that is Robbie Anderson. Oh, good for Warren. That's yeah, no and you, you have daughters, I have daughters. That's pretty cool to see. Second down nine, first play of the second quarter, McCown. He's deep, and he's right into Anderson. Like I said earlier, Adam won a road game since opening weekend. Cannon, wire in, and they go outside. Nice looking catch across the way, Andre Roberts. Ball in the hands of your best players, and that's Anubwa and Crowell. Two tight ends, second down, and they, they have Crowell in the backfield. Ooh, look out. Four-yard field goal try by Myers, who kicked a 54-yarder earlier on, tacked on three more. The Jets are shutting out Tennessee. Finer guy has ever worked for CBS. Wonderful man, great co-worker. 
but all too soon at the age of 66 with a run right here. 9-13-0 to a team that hasn't won in six weeks. You got it. Oh, it's blocked! It's blocked on the play. Looked like it was Kevin Pierre-Lewis who blocked the ball! Oh, the Jets are doing it every way! And he recovered the ball! Hard to win. First block on Kern. First block by the Jets since 2013. Too many field goals down here in the red zone. 43-yard try. And, oh, it looks like he got a little shove from the wind down in seven. Henry Jenkins has it. Last 16 at home. Tennessee 13-3. and Second out and five. Blocked by Lewis in time. And that's what happens. Davis across the middle. 22-yard pickup by Davis. First and 10, Mariota. He gets away from Williams. On the move. This is one of the great things he does. There's a block in the play by Kurtzer. Position. First and 10. Oh, he's got Kurtzer. And he's got six. Touchdown. His first NFL touchdown. The extra point. That's blocked. May have been screen. We'll have to go back and take a look. There was a lot of congestion. Jets have lost five in a row. Have one on the road since opening weekend. The second half kickoff is away. Andre Roberts. Oh, and look at him fly. One to beat. And LaShawn Sims knocks him out of bounds. That was a terrific return. Nichols secondary, third down and eight. Blocked by McGuire, but they come up the middle and they grabbed him with Bayard. But Herndon was there and covered on the play and broken up on the play. We know about his athleticism, his ability to make plays on the move, but he's not been great throwing the ball from the pocket. Third and six. We kept him in that production meeting a lot longer. I wanted to find out about his mindset coming to this one after missing the last two with that foot injury. The hard-charging Crowell. The Bilal Powell injury opened up a lot more for Crowell. First and ten. Blocked by Leggett. Turns the corner and there he goes. Bayard to beat. Something they've had to settle for with the first and ten here from the 17. The fake to Crowell. McCown is down. Flag as you see. And down in 13. McGuire in the backfield. Finch was there. Here comes Casey. Nice sidestepping, but down he goes. Nonetheless, 21-yard line. Brown and others. So Myers was after being claimed off Raiders from Seattle. 39-yard field goal try. He gets another one. Four to four today. McCown. And it is grabbed by Anderson. Dory Jackson was over there. The catch at the 35. It's a pickup of eight. It's a first down. They're down five. Leggett. And he's got the first down. Sixth time ever. Down to seven of seven in the game. Here's a 39-yard field goal right down the middle. And his admirers around the world. Mariota first and ten. Brought across the middle. Anthony Kirkson. It's caught! Davis! Touchdown! And the Titans are taking their first lead today!
the secondary. It's a first and ten from McGowan. And he throws with a nice twirling catch right there to the 45-yard line. Byard with the stop. Herndon with the catch. And ten from the 45. McCown deep. Picked off by Malcolm Butler. And that'll be all she wrote to Nashville. I was originally going to go to that game, but the travel plans didn't happen because with the Jets being as bad as they are, I just couldn't justify the expense. I feel bad because I've been planning this for a while with my buddy Luke who lives out there, but I just couldn't do it. And then he texted me, of course, like a wise ass and wrote, (laughs) it's a good thing you didn't come out here because you would have missed what my buddy and I were doing in the parking lot, making fun of all the Jets fans that came out here for this game. And I said, yeah, Luke, the thing is you actually wouldn't have done that if I was there because I would have punched you in the face. And he agreed, but it definitely would have been a tough experience being there live for that and having to watch the Jets let the lead slip away. I guess that does put to bed any notion, though, that if Josh McCown had been the quarterback all year, somehow this team is magically 10-6. and six. Yes, his last uh, couple starts, obviously, I've cut him some slack initially to get the rust off. He hasn't played in quite a while, but boy, uh, yeah, I don't think 10-6. and six. With him all year is very realistic. The offense is averaging just under 13 points per game with McCown in his first three starts this season. Obviously, I'm not going to count the pick six by Tremaine Johnson. So it's really remarkable that people had this narrative and were trying to blame Darnold like he was the problem. And the problems go far, far deeper than Sam Darnold. I will say this. The silver lining, as it always is this time of year, or at least it seems that way the last couple of years, sadly, is that the Jets did indeed move up in the draft order from four to three, thanks to the Arizona Cardinals. So thanks, Josh Rosen. Thank you, Mr. Josh Rosen. The uh, check is in the mail. It's also a Play Like a Jet t-shirt signed by yours truly. That's a very valuable commodity, John. Anything signed by you because you're such a mysterious and famous person. You probably are the most famous person that people have never seen or met. It's really a very fascinating dynamic that you have. That's something that you absolutely could never say about Joe Namath, who is the captain of the 1968 Jets, the quarterback, the man who led the charge on what would be the greatest season in New York Jets history. Fifty years later, we are paying tribute to the only team in franchise history to win a Super Bowl championship. And John, over the last six weeks, we've had the privilege of talking to John Schmidt, who was the center on that team, to take us through his memories of that season. He's told us some wild stories. In fact, last week, he told us all about coming back from a road trip against the San Diego Chargers and almost not making it back. The plane looked like it was going to crash to the point where the flight attendants were saying prayers and crying. So just the fact that they made it back in one piece was a bit of a miracle. So many incredible stories that he's told, and we're going to get into some more of them this week as we talk about part seven of our journey through the 1968 season. So, John, what do you say we go ahead and talk to John Schmidt? Ah, jeez, Scotty, I'd love to, but uh, I'm on my way to Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. What are you doing in Columbus, Ohio? Uh, Scotty, I'm asking that myself as well. Uh, Joe Caparoso has me covering the Urban Meyer retirement press conference for TurnOnTheJets.com. 
My goal has always been to make this one of the premier and most comprehensive programs in America. It has always been a goal to see a healthy, strong program handed to an elite coach in person to make it even better. And I want to congratulate uh, Ryan Day and his family. I look forward to uh, working with our staff and players in preparing to play uh, Washington in the Rose Bowl. It's always been a dream of mine and many of our coaches and players to compete in the Rose Bowl, and it's going to be an honor to represent uh, the Big Ten Conference in that game. The style of coaching that I've done for 33 years is a very intense, very uh, demanding, very, um, uh, uh, I see Ben there, he knows exactly what we're talking about, that uh, you can ask our former players the expectation and the way I've been, and I've tried to delegate more and CEO-ish more, and the product started to fail. And uh, I had to go right back to, I just can't, first I didn't, I didn't feel like I was doing right by our players and by Gene. And... Uh, and the challenge was, can I continue to do that in that style? I'm confused. Why would you be covering that for TurnOnTheJets.com? What does Urban Meyer have to do with the Jets? Scotty, as we know, there's been a lot of uh, stories and scandal with Ohio State this year. But I'm about to break a huge story for us at TurnOnTheJets.com. I got to admit, I'm intrigued. I have no idea what this could possibly be because I'm trying to think in my mind what the connection between Urban Meyer and the Jets would be. But Joe Caparoso is not a guy that would send you out there and go to the expense of flying you to Ohio State for no reason. So there must be something there. So, John, you go ahead. You flesh out that story. I will talk to John Schmidt, and we'll meet back here. How's that? Scotty, as always, sounds like a plan. Talk to you soon. The championship game would come one week after the final game of the season, and the final game of the season would be the rematch against the Miami Dolphins. Despite Don Maynard not playing as a precaution, the Jets end up dominating. The defense holds the Dolphins to only 137 yards of offense. Emerson Boozer returns to lead the way with 17 carries on 83 yards and a touchdown. Other than a Larry Zonko one-yard touchdown in the second quarter, the Dolphins didn't really do much. Pirelli plays a lot of this one, again, presumably as a precaution for Joe Namath, throws one touchdown to Pete Lamons. Bake Turner, again, third week in a row he's coming up big, catching seven passes for 157 yards. No new injuries, though, and the Jets are headed to the playoffs. They win this one 31-7, and the final regular season record is 11-3. The Jets captured the last two games of the season with relative ease, taking the Bengals 27-14, and again beating the Dolphins, this time by a score of 31-7. Maynard was injured in the Bengals game and was a question mark for the playoff. Now came the big question. Could the Jets keep rolling? They'd swept through their regular season with an impressive 11-3 record, their best ever. But they'd had some squeakers along the way. And the team they were now going to face in the AFL championship game, the Oakland Raiders, had pulled a stunning win out of the fire in their previous encounter. The now famous or infamous Heidi game. The Jets' offense was well-oiled and high-powered. Namath was certainly a great quarterback. He had great protection, great receivers and ball carriers, a great backup man in the veteran Babe Perilli, a great threat in the toe of Jim Turner, a great defensive line, and a great pass defense. But the experts still wanted to know how good were the Jets really. Only time, the AFL championship, and hopefully the Super Bowl would tell. I always find it interesting when a team has nothing to play for, technically, but still ends up winning. 
to you, did it demonstrate just how great this team was, that they were missing all these players that they were sitting either as precautions or because they were legitimately injured, and the team had nothing to play for in theory and still beat the Dolphins very badly? Yeah, well, we believed in each other, and we had a, we really had a very good team. We weren't lucky to be 11-3. and three. We had a good team, and we worked hard together. We believed in each other. We had great leadership. We had great coaching. So it all it all comes together. No one thing does it. It's all those things added together that make a championship run possible. So I know Matt Snell is probably at this point the more feature back, but Emerson Boozer is still an important part of this team, and he comes back and has 17 carries for 83 yards and a touchdown here. Was he like the engine that drove the Jet offense? He might not have been statistically the best player or necessarily the most important player the way that, say, Joe Namath or Don Maynard were, but kind of a real spark plug, an engine that would keep the Jets' offense chugging? He was always ready to go. You he, he, he could always count on him. When you have somebody you can always count on, I mean, it's like plugging Babe in at the end. I mean, he played great. Those last three games, Babe Pirelli played great. Babe Turner played great. Booza played great. A lot of the guys... You know, that's the thing with a, with a championship team. You got guys that can come up and play. They may not have been the, 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 the stars or the, the role player that, that some of the other players were, but when they're called on, they play like a star, and they did. They did. So did Pirelli and Turner, two guys that for multiple weeks in a row played really well, but not guys that are going to necessarily have to be counted on as starters, did them playing really well give you an extra sense of confidence because if, God forbid, something were to happen to Namath or to Maynard or somebody along those lines, you knew you had guys that could step in and produce? Well, that was the thing. That's what we showed everybody. And he was, you know, he did it He did it for our good, but he did it for the, for the, for the players themselves. Let, let them know, hey, babe, you're not just sitting on the bench. We need you. We're going to put you in there. Babe, we need you. We're going to put you in there. You know, so it, it was twofold. It, it let everybody see what we have and the kind of depths we have at, at key positions. When you got a quarterback that comes off the bench, wins three games in a row, that's pretty doggone good. When you have a receiver that hadn't played much all year and then went, catches all those passes, that's really good. So all these things that help make a team confident, We this is the part that people don't know about Weeb and how he – he formulated this. He he had that was planned. You know that th- he put Babe Corelli in there for two. That Joe wasn't hurt. He put Babe Corelli in there number one to protect Joe from getting hurt, but also to see what we had and to make sure that everybody knew we had backup. Make the players know. Make the fans know. Make everybody know. Make our opponents know. Hey, if you hurt one, we got we got a backup. We got another backup. We got another backup. You know, and we proved it to them all. And one thing that you were going to have to prove was that you were better than either the Chiefs or the Raiders, even though the Raiders had beaten you earlier in the season. And we're going to get to that in a bit because this was a unique situation. The Jets ended up having a week off leading up to the AFL title game on December 29th because you guys won your division outright. However, the Western division of the AFL ended in a tie. So by rule, a one-game playoff had to happen on December 22nd to determine the winner of that division and the team that would play you in the AFL championship. 
The Jets, at the time, pretty happy about this. In fact, one player was quoted as saying, I'm not wishing anybody bad luck, but the winning team might have a couple of injuries. Coach Weeb Eubank also chimed in with a similar comment. I won't talk about anyone getting hurt, but maybe some of them will get tired. So is this kind of what you guys were thinking, that you had a major advantage because these teams were going to beat each other up and kind of like if there's a fighter who has a bye in a tournament and he's sitting back there watching two guys beat each other up and then he comes out fresh and gets to take on the guy that's just been in a fight with somebody else. Is that how you felt that you had a major advantage because of this? Well, I, we looked at it as it was just a real great, you know, when you get a week, a week off at that part of the season, that's like getting a month off sometime or the other time of the year. You understand? Mm-hmm. So we more so than worry about who got hurt or who doesn't get hurt. The fact is we weren't playing. We were resting. We watched the championship game on television at my house, the, the playoff games. We we had I, we had everybody over at my house and we watched it on the television in my basement. We had a we had a big basement in the bar area and everything, and uh, we watched that game. And so it was uh, it was just great, you know. We we didn't get banged up, and you don't wish you don't wish anybody to get hurt in football. You just glad you're not playing. Uh, they might get nicked up. They may get tired. They had to fly back and forth. Do this. Do that. But the main thing is we were we weren't playing. We were resting our wounds, and that was the best part of the whole thing. So you would say that the bigger blessing was having the opportunity to rest and recuperate rather than watching these other two teams get beat up. It's being able to just, okay, we're going to get a week off, relax, sleep, rest, and not have to worry about getting our bodies beat up. And that was really the key to what would potentially happen in the <laughs> AFL championship game? That's what I feel, yes. Absolutely. I mean, you you, can't, you don't know what a week off at that time of the year means to your body, you know. I would imagine after such a grueling schedule and a grueling schedule that would lead to the Kansas City Chiefs playing the Oakland Raiders for the Western Division title. And Joe Namath was asked about this particular game the same way that other players were and Coach Eubank was. But his answer was a little bit different. Both teams have been tied at 12-2 and while you guys won 11-3. and And Namath, when asked, said, Kansas City has the better personnel, but the Raiders have the better team, which was recognized as a slight to the Chiefs by the media at the time. I got to ask, and I know we're going to get into this more with him as we talk about what would happen later on, but why would Joe feel the need to say something like this and give these teams extra motivation to want to come in and beat you guys up? It just seems like so unnecessary, but I guess that's just Joe being Joe, right? Exactly, and and, and I mean, you know, I would think, having never played Baltimore, okay, we had played Kansas City. We knew how tough they were, so I could understand why Joe thought that. We really didn't ever play Baltimore. Kansas City had the biggest team in pro football. They had a damn good offense. They had a damn good defense. They, they They were a great team. So was Baltimore. But we didn't know how great Baltimore was. We did know how great, you know, how how great Kansas City was because we played them all the time. So I think that's really where Joe was coming from. I can't tell you exactly why he said that, but I'm my feeling, knowing Joe the way I do, that that was probably what made him lean that way a little bit. Did you have any personal preference at this point between the Raiders and the Chiefs? 
I didn't want to play any lead. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care who I played. I didn't want to play any lead. I don't blame you. That's a big boy right there. <laughs> yeah, he's seventy-five pounds bigger than me. That's a lot of give, you know. Well, the good news is. You didn't have to because the Chiefs got crushed by the Raiders 41-6, earning them the right to host you guys in the title game. The winner would be off to Miami to play in the Super Bowl. And some more interesting news in your favor. Remember, nobody was wanting anyone to get hurt, but they recognized that it could happen. Well, Daryl LaMonica injured his passing thumb in the game against the Chiefs. John Rauch on Saturday of game week advised that the LaMonica thumb was feeling better, but the concern was that he might have difficulty gripping the football. Warren Wells also had a sore heel and was questionable for the game on Sunday, although he ended up playing. So you see that Daryl LaMonica is having issues with his thumb and there's talk that it might potentially impact his throwing. Was there any thought here that this could be something that could be exploited by the Jets' defense here, really go after LaMonica early and often? Uh, we, we, we'd go after whoever the quarterback was as often as we could. LaMonica was a hell of a quarterback, and that day you know he had it. You know, if it wasn't for that, that lateral pass uh, to you at Dixon, uh, you know, uh, that felt that he dropped and that Ralph Baker picked up, uh, we, we may not have gotten to that Super Bowl. You know, so uh, LaMonica had a hell of a day in spite of his injury. And, uh, you know, they played, they were tough. They they played us tough. They really did. It was, that game was much tougher than uh, the Super Bowl game. Physically tougher. Because number one, we hated each other. And we tried to kill each other. We really did try to kill each other out there. And that game was physically tougher than the Super Bowl game on us. And let's talk about that. But first, let me ask you, I know nobody wanted him to get hurt, and I know that obviously you're going to target him because that's what you do. But was there kind of a quiet sense of, well, I didn't want LaMonica to get hurt, but I'm kind of a little bit glad that he's weakened? You know what? Honestly, we didn't even think about it. it. Didn't make any difference. You know what I mean? We didn't really think. We had, whoever was in there, we're going to play them. They were a tough team. With no matter who was that quarterback, they had mm-hmm. a great team, and uh, it didn't. We, did, we didn't concentrate on that at all. We really didn't. I mean, if he if he was hurt, fine. If he wasn't hurt, that's fine. We got to play him. Whoever's in there, we got to play, and and we did. You know, and uh, he played a hell of a game. He may have been hurt, but he played a hell of a game. And before the game, it comes out that Joe Namath, George Sauer. And Jerry Philbin are all named AFL All-Stars. And the Jets enter this game as favorites, which, as we'll see, was not always going to be the case. But name it Sauer and Philbin, named as AFL All-Stars, number one. Did you feel that there were other players on the team at the time who also deserved All-Star honors? And number two... I guess Philbin couldn't be too hard on Namath for throwing to the wrong team anymore because now he was an all-star with him, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't know that anybody else should have been uh, named the all-stars other than the ones we had. I thought, thought we did pretty well for, for the uh, team that we had. 
And for the guys that made the All-Star game, God bless them. They, they certainly deserved it. I'm sure there was another couple of players that should have been on there, but, you know, that's, that's life in the fast lane, you know. Getting all we wanted to do was win that game and get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. We didn't really give a damn about that. All-star game, I'll be honest with you. That, that's, that's fine. That's an individual, that's an individual, uh, honor, uh, winning the Super Bowl, winning the championship game, and then the Super Bowl game. That's a team honor. And that's what we were looking to do. There's part seven of our in-depth discussion on the 1968 season, the only year that the Jets won a Super Bowl. And, of course, the 50th anniversary is in progress, and that is why we are doing this series. I have to say, I was talking to Alan Schechter, our producer, about this a while back. And regardless of what people think of this series, A, it's my favorite so far, and B, if we weren't going to do this one, we might as well not do the show because this is the one time that the Jets won the Super Bowl. We just closed out the regular season, and so next week we will get to the AFL championship game. Going to be a fantastic show as always. Looking forward to talking to John Schmidt again. But I'm also looking forward to talking to my co-host, Big John Spiropoulos, who was flown out to Ohio State for the Urban Meyer retirement press conference by Joe Caparoso. John was covering it for TurnOnTheJets.com. I'm still kind of confused because I have no idea what Urban Meyer and Ohio State have to do with TurnOnTheJets.com, a New York Jets website. But I guess John's going to tell me. So, John, you're back. What's going on? Yes, Scotty. I uh, got to sat down, had had an exclusive one-on-one with Urban Meyer where I asked him the hard-hitting facts about what Ohio State had been doing to the NFL for years. This is the story they've been trying to cover up for quite a while. And this was after the press conference. This was a one-on-one sit-down between the two of you? Scotty, uh, that is correct. And I have some exclusive audio that we can play right now if you're interested. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Let's play the clip. Hi, Urban. Uh, Big John Sparopoulos from the Play Like a Jet podcast, TurnOnTheJets.com. And I know it's been a hard season for you. Unfortunately, you didn't make it to the Final Four of the playoffs. But what I'm here to talk about is not what was going on this year per se, but the the cover-up you and your school have been doing for years, lying and deceiving the NFL and especially my beloved New York Jets over prospects who really can't cut the mustard here in the NFL like Devin Smith, Anthony Schlegel, and Vernon Goldston. Irvin, any comments? I want to start off by apologizing for that performance. Um, I want to be really clear that there is zero intent to mislead. Wow, John, you really went in for the kill there. I got to say, I'm surprised you had the guts to ask that to him one-on-one. Before I ask you about what his reaction was after that clip, because I'm sure there was stuff that was said and heard after the tape stopped rolling, I got to know, how did you convince them to let you have a one-on-one sit-down, especially since it's not like you're a local guy, it's not like you're some big-time national media reporter. You're the co-host of a New York Jets podcast, which on the surface, as I pointed out before, would have nothing to do with Ohio State. So how did you talk them into letting you have a one-on-one with Urban Meyer? Well, Scotty, as a young boy, I don't know if you've heard the story on the show, I was a tremendous blocking tight end on my eighth-grade football team. And as a young boy, I went to a training camp 
where Ohio State legend tight end Ricky Dudley was one of the coaches, and he saw I had an affinity for being a blocking tight end. We've uh, kept in contact all these years, and uh, I was able to uh, use him to get this interview. I guess I'm grateful to Ricky Dudley then for being able to get you that interview. But, John, i got to know, were there any more questions? Or after that one, did they realize that you were a little bit more than they bargained for and, let's say, disposed of you? Well, uh, Scotty, after the questions you just heard, Urban unfortunately said he had a headache and I was escorted out of the building by security yet again. John, you have a pretty strong track record of getting escorted out by security. Our friend Dan Arlovsky recently, we don't want to say for sure that it was him, but it is kind of coincidental that he had words with you at ESPN and then moments later you were escorted out by security under different pretenses, but we all pretty much know what was going on there. Apparently Dan didn't like the fact that you ducked out on the interview when he appeared on this podcast. And the fact that now you get kicked out by Urban Meyer, I know Darrell Revis had you kicked out. So, John, you're really developing a heck of a reputation for yourself in the journalism world. Uh, Scotty, it looks that way. I looked right at Urban as I was being kicked out and told him I've been kicked out of much nicer places than this. Uh, so, Scotty, I'm going to try to uh, work on that going forward, given more opportunities, I hope. You were cold as ice. <laughs> but still, Rick James, even after taking a beating like that. Your couch. <laughs> this motherfucker's going out. His legs is like, like linguine. I've been kicked out of better homes than this. <laughs> I'll be back. It's like a motherfucker. Wide nose having mother. John, you're really making a name for yourself and branching out beyond this podcast. I'm proud of you, buddy. Now, if you would only just show up for some of these interviews, maybe people wouldn't kick you out of these things like Dan Arlovsky did. Scotty, that's a uh, possibly true fact. Maybe one day I'll have to test that theory. One day soon, perhaps, because we're going to be branching out and trying to get interviews of guys that were at one point affiliated with the Jets, but may be at college programs or other pro teams right now. Fingers crossed we've got some things potentially in the works. We'll see what happens here on Play Like a Jet. But I can tell you one thing for sure that is going to happen is next week we are going to get into part eight of our discussion on the 1968 season. That is going to involve the AFL championship. Can't wait for that. Also looking forward to the two days next week that I'll be talking to Daryl Slater We'll be talking to him on Monday and Friday. Monday, we do the post-game report. Friday, we do the pre-game report, all the latest news and everything. I'll tell you, the post-game report after the Jets' season finale against the New England Patriots is going to be pretty news-filled this year, and I have a feeling it's going to have a little something to do with Todd Bowles. Right, John? Yeah, Scotty. I'm, I'm thinking uh, at the latest uh, what they call the Black Monday in the NFL that uh, Bowles might be uh, might be getting his name called on that day. Yeah, it's sure starting to look that way. It may be before then, but it's really looking like he's going to be here the rest of the season. So if any news breaks before then on the coach, especially after guys like Quincy Noon will come out and basically say, yeah, I know what's wrong with this team, but I like having a job. If we hear too many more of those comments, 
I think something may have to happen before then. But at any point, whenever it happens, we will have the news for you. Daryl Slater will jump in with us here on Play Like a Jet. Also, don't forget to check out Michael Nanny is Know Your Foe. He's got a preview up right now for the Jets game against the Buffalo Bills coming up this Sunday. You got TOJ Film Room with Marcus Coleman and Joe Blewett. That's on our YouTube channel. Turn on the Jets TV. I watch every single week. You should too. Go ahead and subscribe. Of course, Joe Blewett also appears on this podcast once a week to do X and O quick hits. So that's kind of the Cliff Notes version of that show. But if you want the full film breakdown with the video, you've got to make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Turn on the Jets TV. Also, we've got What's Your Point Sundays right after the game. This was a fun one that we did this past Sunday with Pauly Brzez. Michael Nanny is stepping in for Dalvin Asario. And international poker star Craig Mason, who also happens to be my brother as the special guest judge. The topics this week were all kind of venti, is the best way I could put it, where we kind of went to town on what went wrong in that game. It was a lot of fun. Paulie got a big victory, won 3 nothing, and even got the bonus question at the end, too. So it was lights out for Paulie this week. He's back on his winning ways as we continue this season of What's Your Point? And I have a feeling we're going to do some more fun-themed shows because... The way things are playing out right now, that's the only way that we can really enjoy ourselves down the stretch. Don't forget about There's Always Next Year with Brian Bassett, Travis Milton, and Josh Conrad. That show is fantastic. I was actually just talking to Dalvin and Pauly about the fact that Travis Milton is hilarious. I didn't know Travis before he started this show with Brian, but man, he has become one of my favorites to listen to. The stuff that he blurts out out of nowhere, the Golden Girls thing really killed me. The thing about the Golden Girls mug and then Blanche in the sheets and Dorothy in the streets. My goodness, I need t-shirts made up about that. So I'm going to talk to Joe Caparoso, but he is hilarious. He's one of the best parts of that show. Of course, Josh Conrad is great too. And we all know about the godfather of Jets podcast, Mr. Brian Bassett. So if you haven't listened to any of the episodes, especially this past week's, go ahead and check it out right now. Last but certainly not least, do not forget about the Turn on the Jets podcast with Joe Caparoso. One of my favorites recently was when Joe did a whole show dedicated to Le'Veon Bell and what he thinks the Jets should do in relation to Bell. I have a feeling that I'll be joining Joe for some chats about that at some point in the offseason, but it's well worth listening to. Make sure you're subscribed right now on iTunes, the Turn on the Jets podcast, the mothership, if you will, as the late, great Dusty Rhodes would say. Quick shout out to our producer, Mr. Alan Schechter whose work you can read over at EmpireWritesBack.com. He does a great job covering all things New York sports. If you're not checking out his site, please go ahead and do so. If you're a New York sports fan, it's a must. And if you are a fan of this show, you really should support Alan because he does a lot to make this show happen. A lot of the research, a lot of the guests, much of that is because of Alan. So, Alan, thank you so much. We love working with you here on the show. And we love reading your work over at EmpireWritesBack.com. Thanks again to John Schmidt for joining us this week for Part 7 of the 1968 Super Bowl season. Really looking forward to Part 8 next week, aren't you, Bart Scott? Can't wait! Bart missed you on SNY this past Sunday. Victor Green and Chad Cascannon did a good job in place of you and Willie Colon, but... It's not the same without you. I know you haven't been on that show all that long, but you really become a staple in pretty fast order. So good for you, man. I'm so glad that you've found your niche in New York sports broadcasting. 
That's going to do it for us this week. My name is Scott Mason. My tag team partner is Big John Sparopoulos. And, John, I believe you know there's only one way that we can end this show. That's right, Scotty. A pleasure as always. And to Urban, enjoy your time on TV. I'm sure we'll see you back on the college sideline before you know it. Brick, break it down. One, two, three. And the home of the Jets.